Hey friends, I want to tell you something. Black is beautiful. Black is love. It can be seen 365 days a year, 24-7, and Target is here for all of it. And so am I. Where my Target mama's at? Black Beyond Measure is Target's year-round campaign that celebrates and elevates the spectrum of Black love and success. From the multitude of commitments and investments in the Black community, to supporting HBCU students and uplifting Black entrepreneurs, like myself. Shop Black-owned or founded brands at Target, from home decor and candles to beauty, wellness products, and so much more. Surround yourself in joy and amplify your Black love with the help of the Black-owned and founded brands at Target every day. Visit Target.com slash BlackBeyondMeasure to learn more. Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sheree Sims, and today we've got a special guest with us. You might know him as the host of the Man to Man podcast right here on the Black Love Podcast Network, but he's also the general manager of Black Love Inc., certified transformational nutrition coach specializing in mental health, and a husband and a father of one. I'm so excited to talk parenting with David Wazicki. Yeah, you got the last name right. Yay! I was practicing, I was practicing. Because I'll be getting names wrong sometimes. And that is not personal, because I can't get my own children's names right. There's too many of them. So for anybody, if I ever get your name wrong, it's not personal. Uh, So before we get going, David, we do a little thing here. Okay. And it's something I do with my family at home. It's We share the peak and pit of our day. It's our Mm. kind of way that we do at the dinner table of opening up a conversation getting a little window into one another's day. So share with us the peak and pit of your day, but start with the pit so we can end on a high note. Oh, the pit. Um, I laughed this morning <laughs> because I knew I was coming on this podcast and the pit of my day is centered around my daughter. Love of my life. She is not the pit. <laughs> she is the highlight. However... The pit of it all was that I was out last night meeting up with a friend from New York. New York, shout out. Mm -hmm. That's how I do on my (laughs) podcast. Uh, (laughs) And because I was out and because that threw off the routine, Mm -hmm. as you know, routine is everything. Mm -hmm. And I threw it off. I was not there to do daddy duties at night and say goodnight and have dinner and all the things in between. So she woke up at four this morning. I usually wake up at five. That's early enough for me. Yeah. She woke up at four and did not go back to sleep. So I started my day at four in the morning and I knew I had a full day. Yeah. Full day of meetings. I had to be on. I had to be creative. I had to do all the things. I knew I was coming to this podcast. So I was hoping and praying caffeine would kick in by the time I'd make it here. Didn't. Um, it didn't. But I'm awake. I drove. <laughs> I made it. No crash on the road or <laughs> with my energy. So here we are. So that is the pit of my day. Yeah, uh, that's pretty pity. 4 a.m. Pretty pity. 4 a.m. With energetic children who are yeah. craving your attention. Oh, my God. And <laughs> and we, we went everywhere. Like, we went from... Daddy, I loved you. I missed you so much. And I was like, oh my God, okay, come here. Let's go back to sleep. Yeah. No. <laughs> Don't. 
Say it so loud. Mommy's sleeping. No, I don't want to go back to sleep. I want to read stories. Let's turn the light on. Let's not turn the light on because we have to go back to sleep. It's sleepy time and I'm trying to use my quiet voice and I'm trying to be calm. Yeah. I'm like, I know I have to get up in an hour to start my day if I want my day to kick off accordingly. That never happened. That's the punchline. That's a spoiler alert. We went from four to seven in the morning, off and on, reading books, playing, trying to go back to sleep, not going back to sleep, having to go potty 20 times, having to drink more water (laughs) and do all those things. And so it just became a whole daddy daycare from four until 7 a.m. And then I had to make her breakfast and get, I mean, yeah, make her breakfast, make her lunch, get the day started. Yeah, so that be the pit of my day. Um, <laughs> Sounds like somebody's mama right there. <laughs> <laughs> On the opposing end of the spectrum, being here. And I'm not just saying it because I've been fascinated by your work. I've been fascinated by conscious parenting since I knew I was going to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always have so many questions about this thing called conscious parenting, Mm -hmm. which I do love. And it's interesting that we are the quote unquote chosen generation to attempt at breaking generational trauma, to attempt at raising our children the right way, to attempt at being more gentle and open and honest and taking a break because (laughs) I have these moments where I'm like, oh my God, my parents had it so easy. All they did was scold me, <laughs> F it, beat me, mm-hmm. or um, or take aggression towards mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. to silence me, make me small, and be able to get on with their lives and do what they wanted to do. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, that becomes the, that becomes the, oh, this is the norm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is just the way it is type of scenario until you wake up one day and either you come across a book, you come across someone like yourself on social, or I don't know, there's something or your partner brings it to your attention and says, mm-hmm. eh, maybe we shouldn't do it the way your parents did it. Right. And I still catch myself to this day. Like I have gone through, you know, a wellness certification and mental health. I've gone through depression and come out of that and learning traumas that I believe I know to exist. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then there's other ones I have no clue exist, but I know it's somewhere in yeah. my pain body. And so it's like every day I feel like I am, myself and wife included, we are assessing and reassessing daily and trying to make these improvements. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> like every day we put our moves under a microscope. Yeah which is wild to me and it's not going to end. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the thing. Like on, on some <laughs> days I'm like, we're doing the right way or the right thing. We're going about this the right way. And then there's other days where I'm like, could we just hit like a button and pause the conscious parenting thing and just like get our energy back and like start all over again. But I look, I know in the grand scheme we're doing the right thing. I know the work will pay off just yeah. like someone who's in therapy, someone who's, who's, you know, doing the work on themselves or for somebody else. But God, there are certain days where it's just like, 
oh my God, I just want to scream. I yeah. just want to, you know, and I have a toddler. I have a four-year-old. So she's in prime toddlering mm-hmm. right now where she's coming into her own. She is, she's a strong willed. I mean, what I love about this is I see her character. She is very strong. She is very strong-willed. She is very opinionated. She will let you know, like she did at four this morning, mm-hmm. of what she wants and what she doesn't want. And she will not do it in the quiet way. She will not do <laughs> it in the roundabout way. She will let the whole neighborhood know. Right. I don't want to do this or I want to do this. And I mean, it's fast. It's fascinating. It's just fascinating. I'm I'm like about to burst right now. <laughs> because so, y'all crystal is our producer and she's amazing and she also tells me that i cut people off <laughs> and that i talk too fast but listening to you and i'm sure that if anybody is listening to this right now like they feel seen and they feel heard and i know that i'm the parenting coach but all of what you just said is stuff that i deal with and feel on a daily basis and it is like I love hearing you talk about our parents had it the easy way. And I would not say that to my mom, right? But it's so much easier. It's such hard work. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. Now now I feel seen, by the way. No, Thank it you. is. It. I think that is the hardest part for me about parenting and for sure about conscious parenting is having to be conscious yeah. of your past, be in the present, mm-hmm of what they're going through. Mm-hmm. It's like, there are so many aspects of this consciousness that we have to deal with in a moment that we were not taught how to deal with. So it is, it's funny. I remember when my oldest daughter, who's very technical, right? I remember when she was learning how to crawl, you could see in her mind, you could see her say like, okay, right arm forward, left knee forward, left arm forward, <laughs> right knee forward. And it was so robotic, right? And I feel like that's how it can feel a lot of times for us trying to do conscious parenting. We're like, okay, (laughs) this is what I feel. This is how I have to respond. This is the script. This is how they have to respond. But it can be really hard to like honor yourself in those moments. (laughs) It's just hard. I just, everything you said, I feel like we could just turn everything off and go home. (laughs) I know there are people out there that are like, yes, that's how I feel. Uh, no, that really is that that is really sweet to hear that this is the peak of your day. It's also the peak of my day. Aww. I spend Aww. most of my day with six children. So <laughs> spending some time with other adults is the peak. Um, the pit of my day is today is actually one of those days where the children had swimming in Santa Monica. We're in Inglewood, y'all. If mm. anybody knows LA, mm. it's not necessarily close. Um, so a lot of my day today was running against the clock. It was like, okay, swim time's over. We got to go. Get out. We got to go. We got to go. And I found myself not really being present, but ultimately being like here, but two hours ago and needing to get here. Um, and I actually had a question for you with that because I know that you specialize in mental health, health, mental wellness. What is that? Wellness. <laughs> Sometimes that was wellness it and is health. wellness. <laughs> that is a thing I'm trying to solve for with people is get out of your hellness and get into wellness. I'm actually going to take that. I like that. Yeah. I love it. Hellness to wellness. Yeah. Oh my God. Trademark. <laughs> Nobody take that. That's all me. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so one of my questions is as a mental health coach, what are some things that you practice or 
preach for people to practice in terms of like <laughs> staying present. And also because you talked about this morning, you know, your daughter woke you up and kind of throw off your morning rituals. So I, I was wondering what your morning usually even looks like when your daughter stays asleep and you get up at five. So, okay, I'll work backwards. Usually, <laughs> in an ideal setting, when she sleeps until six, then my day is getting up in the morning at 5 a.m. And it's 5 a.m. not because of the, oh, the 5 a.m. club. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that whole thing. And I don't like people saying, that's the best way to start your day. That's how you're going to live a great life. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's person to person. It's all individualized. Yeah. We all have our own set of experiences, traumas, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wake up, get right to the kitchen, and one glass of lukewarm water, sea salt, half a lemon squeezed. Mm -hmm. Now, what in the hell does that have to do with mental health? A lot. Because the electrolytes, it's a natural electrolyte. So okay. instead of drinking Gatorade, I suggest folks, please don't drink the Gatorade. Um, I'll never get an endorsement from them, but, <laughs> but please don't drink the Gatorade. Instead, drink this natural electrolyte. Mm -hmm. What it does is light up the neurons in your brain. So don't pick up the phone when you first wake up. Check the time. That's it. Put it down. Because I know a lot of us now don't do the watch. I still wear a watch that is not an Apple watch. But don't check the phone except for the time. Get up. I go in the kitchen. I drink this concoction. It slowly wakes me up. It gets the neurons going. Throw some cold water on my face. And then it's off to the gym. Get ready. Hit the gym. Get after it for an hour. And the drive to and from the gym, it's quiet. There's no radio. There's mm -hmm. no podcast. Mm -hmm. There's no nothing. That's my mindfulness. I yeah. try to look up because it's a quiet morning. And since we're in beautiful LA, I get to see mountains. I get to see palm trees. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep my eyes a little above uh, driving level. Mm -hmm. Again, it's safe because there aren't a lot of cars. But I attempt to do that so I can just connect to something bigger and wider. Mm -hmm. So that's my morning. That's what I yearn for when my little one doesn't want to get up. What I suggest for folks to do in terms of mindful practice mm -hmm. is think of the most mundane thing that you could possibly do in a day and fully appreciate that moment. The reason why I talk about besides the electrolytes kicking in, but drinking that water, drink that one glass without yeah. a phone, without anybody around, in silence, not only does it work because of the concoction, but you're being mindful that you're drinking. You're going to hear yourself drink. You're going to mm. feel the water go through your body. It's all a mindful practice physically yeah, and then mentally because it's going to kick in and then you're going to start thinking about things that your phone didn't tell you to think about right. that Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, CNN, Fox, mm -hmm. whatever your pick of the litter is, and they're not going to tell you what to do or an email or a notification. Right. None of that's going to tell you what to do. You are going to start thinking, this is what I do. And so throughout the day, when you can pick the mundane and just be present with it, mm -hmm. especially eating, that's something I've just become very mindful in my practice and with my daughter when we're at the dinner table. So I 
put the phone away, like mm-hmm. physically away in terms of distance. We sit down and I'm going to say, I'm going to connect with you for the duration of this dinner. And I am doing my best to look her in the eyes as much as possible. We're going to eat. She's going to be aware. She can't bring any electronics to the table. She can mm-hmm. bring books and if she brings, to- she usually brings about 20 books. Um, and if she brings <laughs> toys, because she knows how I am, I'm like, you can't bring more than three toys mm-hmm. and books. So mm-hmm. she got me on the books because I didn't give her a number. But <laughs> if, it's, if it's three toys, it's usually puzzles. Uh-huh. That's it. So for me, again, it's just finding moments where you can reset and just say, oh, I am actually present with my daughter. Oh, mm-hmm. when I drink that glass of water first thing in the morning without a phone and any other distractions, I am mindful with myself. I am aware of my body. I'm aware of my mind. I'm aware of my thoughts because your first thoughts are the thoughts that just come in. Yeah. And they're not thoughts that are predicated on someone or something else causing your how your day is going to take off. Yeah. That's amazing and very powerful and something that I have to practice. I'm very guilty (laughs) of waking up and looking like directly at whatever notifications are there and not even I like I'm not even awake enough to really process what any of them are. I'll read emails that I never knew I read, (laughs) but just by habit, the phone's right there and I'll take off. So I have to practice that doing that and having my cup of water. Which, by the way, when you said I have one cup of what, I thought you were going to say wine. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I like it. This is how we practice mental health. Wine at five in the morning. I'm with it. <laughs> no, that is how we get back into hellness and not okay. the wellness. Hellness versus wellness. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to know, like, how did you even get to this point? I don't know that I know a lot of men who are this mindful and this seemingly present with their children and intentional with their children. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about like how you were raised and where where you picked mm. this up from. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't know if I should lay down on the couch and tell you how I was <laughs> raised. <laughs> um, so raised in a number one multiracial household. Mm-hmm. My father is Polish. My mom is black from the South, Tallahassee, Florida, like true mm. South. Yeah. And so that added a lot of dynamics from the get-go. Yeah. Um, I love my parents. I'm going to say this first and foremost. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to put it out there. I love them. But as people, as parents, they were doing the best they could Mm -hmm. for the most part. I'd say for the most part. Yeah. Because you're still aware of what you're doing. At the end of the day, I don't care if it was the 1800s or the early 1900s or... Mm -hmm when I was born, it doesn't matter. Yes, you deal with the times Mm -hmm. and you work with what you're given within those times, but you're still aware when you're doing certain things. You're aware when you are a mother from the deep South in a Baptist church. Yes, I'm bringing capital R religion into this. (laughs) And you beat your child because that's a form of discipline by God. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's okay. And it's okay if you hit them with the dreaded switch that I think a lot of black folk in particular know about that dreaded yeah. switch. Like right now, I'm cr- I, like, I ugh, yeah. just cringe. We have with a that. book in here 
It's called a uh, switch. Oh, Lord, I got to find it. It's called like switches, belts and something else mm. and train tracks or something like that. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've had it. Yeah. I've definitely had the belt. <laughs> definitely had the switches, had a few other things. And it's like, because I didn't listen to you, I deserve at, I don't know, four or five years old when I could start remembering things that I should be hit mm -hmm. violently with these things that I have a chip on my middle finger, which is hilarious that it's a middle finger, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, not so hilarious. I remember this day getting wow. hit. I was walking with my mom. We were uh, walking a random, I, I can't think of what street exactly in New York City, but we're walking down the street and I saw like these flowers I've never seen before. We're mm -hmm. in New York City. It's a concrete jungle. I don't get to see a lot of flowers that right. are colorful and dynamic and not just green or a tree or a shrub or a branch that she would make into right. a switch. <laughs> and so I went for it and she mm -hmm. was like, stop, you know, stop touching those flowers. Get away from there. Get away from there. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't. And so the only thing she had in her close to her proximity was this umbrella. Uh, you know, one of the convertible umbrellas that you yeah. pull out and you make longer. So she had that and she went for it. And of course, I had to block myself because yeah. she's just going in and I'm like, ah, stop, stop, stop. Like yeah. any kid would. Right. But I put my hand to protect myself. And instead of putting the palm out, I put it the other way. Because mm -hmm. I'm hysterical now too, right? I'm yeah. just trying to protect myself. That's the <laughs> fight or flight fight at four or, years yep. old from my mom um, because she's, like I said, told that this is discipline. So yeah. crack goes the fingernail and it never heals. Oh and every gosh. time I look at this finger, like I remember that moment and it's one of those traumatic experiences yeah. where they, you know, psychologically they say your trauma <laughs> sits in your physical body. Yeah. It, it, this one is, is physical. It's not only in my body, it's on me. Right. That is a reminder now that I have a child not to go that route, not to do that. And so as I grew up dealing with what we now call physical abuse, right. um, but as a child, again, it was the norm. And you grow up with these norms that are nothing close to being normal. Mm -hmm. Back to the multiracial dynamic, it's also growing up and being silenced a lot mm -hmm. because they weren't equipped with tools to, to manage your emotions, to tell you that, oh, what you're doing is wrong. And instead of acknowledging and either trying to write it in a nice way, again, it's aggressive, it's physical violence, it's uh, verbal abuse, mm -hmm. it's saying things that are racially charged coming from a white dad who thinks it's okay because he's married to a black woman that he could say certain words There's that a lot aren't of acceptable. That. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute. And, and, and as I got older, I was like, wait, okay, I'm growing up in New York City. This is supposed to be one of the most liberal cities in the country, mm -hmm. the world. And I have a black mom. I have a white dad. I don't see a lot of this. Mm -hmm. It took me years before I could meet the next biracial, multiracial child. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm saying, is this normal? Is this like what I'm supposed to be experiencing? Like, am I supposed to be called these things? Or is he supposed to be calling my mom that? Is my mom supposed to be calling him that? Like, is yeah. is this like racial tension in the household normal? And getting older, it's not. But experiencing it firsthand with my parents, I, yeah, it, it became a norm. Yeah. It became a norm. And that, you know, what I definitely call physical abuse was a norm. The verbal abuse was a norm. And it's having all of these things just carrying it. And because of these ways of having me to behave Mm -hmm. and teaching me a lesson and showing me the right way and living by God's way, I just became smaller and smaller and smaller. And Mm -hmm. I eventually became this introvert, shy kid, very creative. Creativity was my outlet. Art was my outlet. Music was my outlet. And then, of course, because of capital R religion, I couldn't listen to music, Mm. except if it was gospel music. And I had to be careful of what I was drawing because it could be the devil symbol or the devil something god yeah. god knows you know what it could be and going through these things and then same thing with what i could and couldn't watch on tv like i couldn't i couldn't watch you're probably in my age range fresh prince of bel air cosby show uh different the cosby world, show different world martin and what's what's the other one um the one that came on after martin uh living single why weren't you allowed you to watch these? Because my dad didn't find it acceptable for me to watch it because it's all it is, it's just black. And I'm like, but my mom's black. Yeah. I'm half black. Yeah. And then I would have these conversations of identity telling him, but wait, I'm half Polish and half black. No, you're not. And then and then and then you go beyond that. And then you have to experience that on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. And then I have to experience that with black people in general, not being black enough and oh, yeah. going on the white side. You're never white. Like I could never be that, white because right. I'm way too melanated <laughs> to begin with. So, okay, let's start from there. Like, then what the hell am I? Mm-hmm. Just going through all of these things, it was like once I got to a certain age through college, I actually took this one course and I had this one great book by Cornell West, Race Matters, mm-hmm. which is a double entendre in the title. I thought after that book, <laughs> it just opened my eyes and I started to say, okay, all of that yeah. was wrong. No, nope, yeah. none of that was okay. And then from that point, I jumped uh, maybe how many years in my late 20s, I started to travel. In my late 20s, I started to make decent money mm-hmm. where I could travel. And once I started traveling outside of the country is when I started becoming more conscious, quote unquote, more yeah. aware that there is more than one way of living, yeah. that there's more than one way of how kids are being treated, more than one way of how I'm being treated mm-hmm. uh, or how I can go about my life. Like it wasn't growing up, you know, uh, in a, I'm not trying to like get violins on, but I didn't grow up, you know, the richest. I didn't grow up in the greatest neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like my parents did the best they could. And yet 
we had all of these other challenges that were just layered into doing the best they could. And yeah. then they would hide behind, we're doing the best we could. Yeah. So that's that was the trick yeah. um, that I had to get past. So I heard you say that your father would say racially charged things. And yeah. that when you got to college, you read a book that kind of made you reflect back and say, oh, that was that was not okay. I have had a similar experience, as you know. I don't know if the listeners know, but um, I'm also half Polish, half Irish, and half Black. Um, and for me, there was a point in my adulthood when I looked back and I was like, oh, that's racist. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. didn't know it growing up. It yeah. was acceptable and it was okay. And yeah. then later in my adulthood, I was like, that wasn't cool. Did you always know that it wasn't cool when it was happening to you? Or did you not realize it until college, until an adult kind of having your perspective broadened? I knew this wasn't right. Mm -hmm. But for some, well, not for some reason, just growing up, like if that's the household dynamic. And then when I go to family on both of their sides and I'm experiencing a different type of racism or bias or Mm -hmm. whatever i'm like okay everywhere i go i'm getting this yeah then when i go to school Mm -hmm. they're like is that your dad is that your mom wait a minute your dad's white your mom's black how is that what and then i'm just this confused kid but anyway back to your question i don't want to go on a tangent I always felt it was wrong, Mm -hmm. but because of the things I just mentioned, it was the norm. I think that is like the telltale sign of abuse. (laughs) Like I feel, I will watch a lot of Law and Order and I feel like that is always what you hear someone say, whether, whatever the abuse is, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's emotional, physical, mental, whatever kind of abuse, it's always like, it didn't feel right, right, but I wasn't sure. And I actually think the same is flipped like on the parenting side. Like yes. we can do things yes. where we're like, it doesn't feel right, but I'm not sure. And I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And I think if we can tell it, like if our thoughts are, it doesn't feel right, we should probably reevaluate what we're doing. Yeah. And and that's why I, I truly believe in this learning through the children dynamic because a lot of these traumatic experiences come up as they get older because they become more evolved so they can challenge you, not that they're, you know, challenging you per se in mm-hmm. the in the literal sense, but it's more of they confront you mm-hmm. with things you've experienced where you're like, ooh, this feels familiar. Yeah. Do I want to do this to my kid the way it was done to me? Yeah. Ooh, wait a minute. Maybe because she's also melanated now, people are gonna say, hmm, what's her background and how does she approach it? So how should I as a father, how should I as a parent let her be exposed to all the things mm-hmm. and not say, oh, you're just this thing, you know, or even I would go so far as to say, well, at least my approach is not protecting you from right. Uh, you know, those challenges. But I I think instead, the best way is to expose you to all the things, all the types of people, all the types of experiences. And like I was saying with traveling, if you can be exposed to different cultures, upbringing, societies, way of eating, living, thinking, believing, believing in a higher power, like all of this spectrum, you can have a more compassionate 
sympathetic, hopefully empathetic approach to your fellow human at the end of the day. And I think that's the big win. And I know that, you know, sounds grandiose, but it starts, it literally does start with one. It starts with your child or your children. And if you can get yourself there and you get yourself there day by day, when you're engaging with your child or children, then that's, that's the biggest win because you're learning as they're learning and you're mirroring and you're going back and forth and you're being able to teach each other, which I think is the, like the ultimate win Mm -hmm. while other things come into the mix that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) sideline you from being able to stay on this, you know, kind of, I know it sounds kumbaya ish, but you know, it, it, it it sidelines you from that. But as long as you can keep that bigger goal, Mm -hmm. which is what I try to do, is what has me coming back day by day and not giving up on this thing called conscious parenting, which I think, oh, you know, at at certain times just gets this uh, uh, flack for being like, oh, conscious parenting just means you're going to let your child walk all over you. Right. You know, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. I, you know, I I am a, a big believer in this thing because if anything, the biggest thing I've been learning is presence. Like you were asking me about mindfulness. That's the ultimate form of mindfulness, having a child. Mm. <laughs> yeah. How else are you going to raise that little one except by being mindful? How are you yeah. going to raise them? Let me correct that. How are you going to raise them to be a better human and not experience what you experienced as a child? Yeah. But by being conscious and being present. So I have a question. I'm hearing the story, which broke my heart, by the way. <laughs> I know that is like, <laughs> unfortunately, the norm for so many people. Yeah. But it's still heartbreaking because I kind of imagine like baby David. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, I do too. And d- were you an only child growing up or did you have siblings? Oldest of three. Okay. Uh, so I have a sister and a brother. And that was a- another whole dynamic because I felt I was also put in a position at time, even though my my brother doesn't like me saying this, mm-hmm. for a short period of time, I won't say for his whole life, because yeah. I think that's where he gets offended. But for a decent amount of years, I had to be there in a fatherly sense. And I felt like I knew I actually was aware of that and I felt it was unfair. So mm-hmm. for me, it was around being in high school. And then there was another point when I came back home for some circumstances financially mm-hmm. with the household where I had to come back for a little bit. And in those two moments, I was there a lot from the homework to the let's go about life this yeah. way, let's eat that way, let's stay away from these things, let's not. And, you know, again, my parents are. My parents, they're at the end of the day, they're people. Um, I heard this one or came across this one quote, when you when you look at your parents as people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you start to have a new appreciation, but also a new reality Yeah. in that dynamic as once was child parent, mm-hmm. it's now person to person. Right. Then you start to look at them differently. Right. And I think that's what's quickly happening for me as a teenager in high school Mm -hmm. and taking on these responsibilities 
for different reasons. And then again, in college for different reasons, mainly with my brother at that point, where it it almost felt like I had to. It went mm-hmm. from, oh, you're being the big brother to, no, you have to go and save the day. And I always felt like I had to save the day and and figure out how to keep them from the nonsense that would ensue yeah. with my mom and dad because it was it was a house full of arguments yeah. uh whether it was at our house or whether it was uh going to my father's side in particular and going <laughs> to all of those relatives oh my god I, i'm just visualizing yeah. again going back to little david mm-hmm. and 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 experiencing and and reimagining those situations so the dynamic between you and your brother was not so much the way that most of us would imagine having siblings. It was more, you you had more of like a caretaker role. Caretaker role. And he would deny it, but good for him that he saw it <laughs> in a different way. Cool. Because maybe I put it, maybe I did put it upon myself again, because of this dynamic with my mm-hmm. parent. Okay, fine. Maybe, maybe I did, but actually I didn't. So yeah. let me reframe that. I did not. But at the time, I felt maybe I did. Maybe I yeah. put this on myself. And I was like gaslighting myself. And so I took that on. And thankfully, later, once he became an adult, once my sister was more mature. Mm-hmm. What's the age gap say. between the three of you? Uh, my sister is six years younger. My brother, well, I'm sorry. My sister is four years younger. My brother is six years younger. Okay. So once they came into adulthood, there was a shift. Mm-hmm. And then they started realizing some of what I was saying was actually true. Some of what, right. you know, you're talking down about mom and dad was actually, oh, wow, you had a point there. Oh, Mm -hmm. maybe you did actually make sense. You know, this isn't for me to be like, oh, you know, you're a know-it-all. You had it all, had it right all along. But there was just a knowing of what was happening and what I was experiencing and just feeling this can't be right. Like this can't be it. And I know watching television (laughs) or seeing other kids and going to other friends' houses it wasn't argumentative. They weren't mm-hmm. physical with their kids. If they got in trouble, yeah, they would yell at them sometimes. Okay, fine. Yeah. You're not equipped with certain tools, but at least you were equipped with a nonviolent approach. So maybe you went the verbally abusive, mm-hmm. but it didn't get physical. Or maybe you understood or could understand to give the kid, which I think is silly, but good try, a timeout. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> So at least you try, you know, yeah. you learn something new and you're like, oh, give them a time out. And so I'd be at friends places where that's what they would get. Is there any house or friend in particular that you really remember standing out as kind of like being your first picture of what could be possible for a family or parenthood? And I guess that question is a little bit personal, so I'll frame it a little bit. I know for me, life looked a certain way mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and when I was in high school. We we lost our housing. I ended up living with a family, the McGrath family, who I love so much. And I feel like for me, that was one of the first times that I saw 
husband and wife living in a house together, Mm. raising their children together. And I was like, oh, this is what it could look like. And so for me, just the standard of how I pictured a potential family, it shifted and changed just based on what I saw and the representation before me. So for you, was there a specific family or friend or even just person where you were kind of like, oh, I can model things this way. It doesn't have to look the way that I saw it. Unfortunately, no, because the parents I saw to be as those model parents, Mm -hmm. my parents would somehow shun (laughs) that dynamic. They'd figure out a chink in the armor quickly and say, oh, you know, whatever they would say Uh about those respective parents. So I had a I had a handful that I thought were, wow, those are great parents. Mm -hmm. Wow. If I could just stay at their house, can I stay over? Can I sleep over? And then they would come back and there would be some back talking about how this mother is and how that dad is and what they do and their dynamic amongst each other. And can you believe she said this and did that? So I'd hear it because they also had no filter Uh (laughs) when talking. That's one interesting thing. I never, there was never this filter of talking to kids Mm -hmm. in a certain way and talking to adults. Mm -hmm. It was like, you just talk. You just talk. <laughs> you just talk. And that's it. And if you're feeling some type of way, that's what you said in front of them. Yeah. That's it. And, you know, just, I don't know, go go in a room or something. But mm-hmm. I'm going to hear it. We were in an right. apartment. Like, you're five feet away from me. Right. Anyway, I, unfortunately, I had a clear vision. And mm-hmm. then they put their filter on it. And then it was like, oh, maybe all parents, again, maybe it, all parents are just not functional yeah but then i finally was able to start sneaking back to the um the tv shows i couldn't watch Uh the cosby show and i was like oh my god you know unfortunately (laughs) in real life things are a little bit different right we don't have to talk about that though and we won't the cosby family beautiful (laughs) i'm sorry the huxtable family huxtable family one of my favorites (laughs) but the huxtable family when i would sneak and watch and my dad was not home and i could watch Mm -hmm. it's like oh my god Wait a minute. Not only is this family dynamic amazing, yeah, but they're melanated, yeah, and and they had t- there were two characters on that show that were mixed. Who was mixed on the however, show? However, <laughs> however, I was old enough. So here now, Sandra, I'm, now Sandra, Sandra. Oh, now, but okay. I'm also dating when I actually started being able to watch this damn show. So uh-huh. I didn't watch it in its prime. I watched reruns later when I was okay. a teenager. <laughs> And I looked her up and I was like, I know your type because me and my brother and sister are your type. So I looked her up online and I was like, um, yeah, you're you're mixed. Yeah. This one's mixed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> and then I, I I became even more. And, you know, that just goes to show what an impression, you know, media and all of this takes on. Right. And Absolutely. Especially now when we're talking about feeling and being seen. So it was it was the Huxable family. Like yeah. that was it. I was like. It is possible and it's possible when you're black and it's possible to have different kind of friends and live in a dope house and live in a dope brownstone in Brooklyn and which was for sure my prototype family. I think my greatest compliments are when people walk in my house, my husband and I both love jazz. So like there's going to be jazz music playing and people will walk in and we might be eating dinner and listening to jazz and they'll be like, is this the Huxwell house? I'm like, yes, (laughs) Yes, it is. is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Minus the outtakes. Just don't watch the outtakes. (laughs) Let us edit this first. (laughs) 
So I, I was kind of asking about your siblings. One, because for me, one of the reasons I actually want to sit down with other parents is because I still have stuff to learn, right? And right. I have six children, as you know. And so I always wonder about sibling dynamics and like how to cultivate them and mm. how to nurture mm. them. And so I'm always interested to find out about people and their siblings and their sibling dynamics. From your experience, though different, what do you think you have learned about siblings? Like maybe something that could have been different. Or even earlier, I was talking about oldest siblings having too much responsibility and how yeah. that can build resentment and build wedges. And that's something that I sometimes try to steer away from. But like as an oldest sibling, if you even if you pretended I was your mom, like what <laughs> what can you give me that I can be like, all right, Christina, here's yeah. what I'm going to do or not going to do. <laughs> so. You know, on the one hand, being the oldest, I guess, from that POV, it's, yes, there there was this resentment of mm-hmm. having to mature fast. But it also built resilience. So I would say if you could prevent it from being an, an extreme where your oldest child had to do the most Mm -hmm. and was put in a position where, okay, now you're of age, you're 12 years old. Now you can start looking after all of your siblings. Mm -hmm. That's unfair. That's a bit extreme. And the resentment will come, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether in therapy or otherwise. And that is like, I would say the no, no, that's the extreme. Yeah. But it also built resilience. Mm -hmm. But it also made me, it's like this double edge where you know, it also made me mature way too fast. Yeah. And I honestly, looking at them, I felt like I missed out on a lot of quote unquote dumb experiences. Like yeah. there's just the simple nature of being a kid yeah. that I feel like I couldn't have because I was put in that position. See, I almost, I almost said it again. This is something I'm working on where I almost said again, I maybe put myself in mm-hmm. that position. No, I was put in that position. Yeah. And I, yeah, I I just always caution when there are multiple kids, especially the oldest, just be aware of how much, because I, there's this funny thing. uh, A lot of my friends, uh, because of pandemic, I know it (laughs) for a fact, a lot of them have had another kid. Right. Um, So there are a whole bunch of pandemic babies and that second child uh, syndrome where you just say F it, right? You just yeah. let, you're a little bit looser <laughs> with the second one. Um, I don't know for you if it was the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, but at least for that second one, you just kind of let things go a little bit more mm-hmm. and you, you're you a little bit freer and loose like, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, we fell. That's uh, fine. Yeah. Where the first one's like, oh my God, emergency room. Yeah. Gotta take. So I think with multiple kids, with the oldest in particular, learning from my wounds and trauma coming out of it, <laughs> If you can balance, if you cannot do an extreme, look, that's kind of my approach in life now is not going too far extreme with things. You can you can veer left and right, but at some point try to flow in the middle. Yeah, I I would say that, especially for the oldest. Like I I have a, a cousin on my dad's side who is the oldest of five and they're mm-hmm. all boys mm-hmm. and he quotes himself as saying, I'm the most effed up out of all of them. Yeah. And he's speaking facts, 
but yeah. he blames it on. Have you told him that? You're you're talking facts, cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you are messed up. <laughs> Half jokingly, yeah, I have. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's true. It's true. It's because I'm yeah. the oldest, and I had to do all the things. He was like, oh, you can relate, right? You can relate. And I've said to him, yes, I can relate, but you also have to take some responsibility. And this is something I've learned as I've progressed on my wellness journey is you got to start taking responsibility for some of the actions and eventually all of the actions, whether you think it's your fault or not, whether you think it was for you or not for you, you have to start taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. But when I say that, I think a lot of people's minds and I, know at least the people I've spoken to when I say that they always think negative well why do I have to take on everything that's negative as my responsibility you're missing the cup that's full yeah (laughs) take responsibility for all the great things and all the good things and the resiliency of being the oldest and having to deal with the craziness and the resentment but Mm -hmm. the resiliency that you built through that that made you the person that you are because now you can take on more now you can do more now you can xyz more go there yeah before you go and now i'm going into coaching (laughs) mode but go there first before you and train your brain to go there first before you go into the hellness tm um (laughs) well plus you're responsible for how you respond to things right and i think that's even something that i have to think about in parenting is i can't necessarily control the way that my children act or what they do or what they will or will not listen to but i have full control and i'm fully responsible for how i respond to them yeah and i think that's one of the things that sometimes helps me be conscious and it yeah i wasn't planning on asking this question but it does make me want to ask you and you can take a moment to think about it in your own practice and in your education with wellness and being a health coach what about it can you apply to parenting Mm. where you know, maybe it is that you're responsible for how you respond or even talking about responsibility. Like that's something I've always wondered watching different people, my own experiences, like at what point do we become responsible, (laughs) right? Like as children, responsibility isn't really ours and we have such little control that it can't be ours. As conscious parents, we can try to teach our children to be responsible for their thoughts, for their actions. We were a generation that wasn't necessarily taught that. We were just taught to At be all. silenced, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> yep. um, so at what point for our generation does it become our responsibility? And how do we start to teach our children responsibility? So, you know, I believe when when you're confronted with whether it's it's trauma. And by the way, when I when I say trauma, Again, I know this can be a triggering word Mm -hmm. and usually people go into the magnitudes of trauma and the extremes, but the birthing experience Mm -hmm. is a traumatic traumatic. experience for mother and child, right? So you can go that minutely in terms of trauma. It's when you can recognize that maybe something traumatic did happen to me. Maybe you start questioning something that happened to you And from that point, when you can confront it, your responsibility in that can be, and I think should be, Mm -hmm. well, I've been able to acknowledge that I have trauma. I can acknowledge that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't, 
I wasn't treated in the best way. Maybe my parents could have treated me a different way. Or when I was confused about my identity, mm-hmm. it wasn't because I was just confused as a kid and I couldn't figure it out and I had too much going on in my head and I was an introvert, so I couldn't speak up. Mm-hmm. It was because I was made to be silent and therefore felt like I was an introvert and therefore could not speak up. And I had to wait all of these years until something triggered me, whether it was a book or a movie or a person or my child, Mm -hmm. where I said, aha, wait a minute. So at that point, I would love for folks to take that as your responsibility and take that as your responsibility to act upon it, to, again, learn from it, and see, is there a learning experience? Because through trauma, it, it's not always the case and it's not so easy, even though I would beg to say there is always a learning experience mm-hmm. from everything, good and bad. But I would argue to say those recognitions of trauma or recognition of something not being right and wanting to fix yourself yeah. and wanting to be better that's the point of responsibility. Yeah. And as long as you are not, again, going down that road of, oh, the, you know, everything's bad, everything sucks, I don't have this, I don't have that as your responsibility, but mm-hmm. instead acknowledgement versus emotionally absorbing the negative that you perceive as responsibility. That's not your responsibility. That's what happened. What happened happened and it happened in the past. Yeah. We leave that there. We do our best to leave that there. But what we can do is acknowledge it and hopefully by acknowledging and getting to that point of responsibility of acknowledging, that's at minimum enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think that usually comes, again, with experiences that comes with something that's going to trigger you. It could trigger you as a teenager, yeah. but it's tough as a teenager to be able to recognize and have the tools still to be able to address it, right? So you get into adulthood, and I feel like when we get into adulthood is when we can start to say, hmm, let me acknowledge these things now. Let me yeah. look back and acknowledge. And I think, I truly think that's probably the best place where responsibility starts. Yeah, that makes sense when our brain is fully formed. <laughs> when and, our brain is, exactly. And you have exactly. the ability to look at these things and analyze them without hormones in the way. <laughs> right, right. Because I think even uh, psychologically, I think it's up to 22 when we get to some point of, it's 25. Oh, it's 20. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. 25. It's 25. Yeah. And it's it's the front part of the brain, the f- frontal lobe, which is yeah. responsible still for things like impulse control. Yeah. Uh, Decision making. Yeah. Logic. All of those things. So, yeah. It makes me question a lot of laws that say like 18. I'm like, wow, right. that doesn't even make sense. But anyways, so I wanted to shift gears a little bit earlier. You talked about your daughter. You talked about your own identity being biracial and then your daughter who is also biracial because your wife is German. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know a lot about German culture, but how are you all raising your biracial daughter and well you talked about it a little bit but if you could talk about it a little bit more in terms of like you talked about not pushing a certain identity on her and exposing her to different cultures um are there any things i don't know if you can answer this <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but 
are there any things even between you and your wife that make it hard to raise a biracial daughter? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and don't get in trouble. <laughs> no, I won't get in trouble. Um, I, I think the great thing I know, the great thing that I have is my relationship with mm-hmm. my wife. So I'll say first and foremost, which I don't care if fellas listening think this is corny. I truly believe my easiest relationship, thankfully, has been with my wife. Beautiful. She truly is my bestie. And as being my bestie, we can actually talk. Mm -hmm. So we, I mean, we talk about identity Mm -hmm. to no end. Mm -hmm. If if you look at, you know, something as simple as choosing books, choosing dolls, choosing um, anything that has to do with people and representation and, and labeling and things of that nature. Sometimes we're reading books where we question wait a minute, (laughs) there's something underlying (laughs) here. And we don't overdo it, but we're aware and we're conscious. And from how she was raised, you know, she was fortunate to travel at a young age Mm -hmm. um, for work. She modeled. So she was able to go to Tokyo, Mm -hmm. go to Paris, go to different um, areas of this country and just other parts of the world, go to um, India, which was life-changing for her, um, go to just a lot of different parts of the world. And, yeah. and and being able to see that, by the time we got together and we started having conversations, it literally was eye-opening because both of us were exchanging these worldly views yeah. and these bigger views so that we said when the time comes to have a little one or little ones as she would like to then we um we're gonna impress upon her all that exists Mm -hmm. so she's definitely learning german Mm -hmm. she's also learning by way of her preschool spanish Mm -hmm. which growing up in la i was like that's, That's a pre- prerequisite. <laughs> prerequisite. It's got to happen. But to you know have that going in her brain, the books mm-hmm. that she's reading, it's you know all colors of the rainbow. To look at certain content that we're now allowing, we're not big on screen time. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to hold out as long as possible to minimize the screen time. So even when she gets to watch it, yeah, we're ensuring that she can see folks that are of different backgrounds that are men and women that there are, you know, what example, Sesame street. i freaking love Sesame street. Mm-hmm. One, it was my babysitter when I grew up and now it's, <laughs> it's not her babysitter, but right. we, we watch it on weekends. We let her watch, um, episodes on the weekend and it's beautiful how even when I grew up, I was able to see, and maybe that maybe this was an ideal, but they weren't parents. Mm-hmm. Um, to your earlier question about parent and um, ideal parents, but you had Gordon, the bald black dude. You had a Latino. You had white. Then you had puppets. Then you had you know you had like everything. You yeah. had Asian, and then now coming full circle with my daughter and we watch. I'm like I see Kiki Palmer singing mm-hmm. Old MacDonald, and I love it. Yeah, and then Haley Steinfeld, Seinfeld, Steinfeld, Steinfeld is <laughs> Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, showing my age now. Um, <laughs> seeing her sing, yeah, uh, uh, 
you know, a, a song here and there, and and then John Baptiste be on the show and being able to see all of these different folks and her being a, a girl for me in particular, I want mm-hmm. her to see all of these strong women. Yeah. And she already is, so <laughs> she's already got that gene, but I want to impress upon her that it's okay to be that. So, you know, long way of answering it, we do our best to expose her to as mm-hmm. many different varieties as possible, even with the down to the toys. She has a couple baby dolls, mm-hmm. but she's not really, she's not a girl who likes dolls. Like she doesn't do the Barbie right. thing. She loves cars. She loves trucks. She loves building things. She yeah. loves puzzles. She now loves <laughs> um, taking apart and successfully putting back together my favorite pens that okay. I use. And, um, so she, so she's there, but it's like, let her. Like, I'm yeah. not going to put a gender identity on the toys you're going to play with. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm sure not going to make sure that it's a homogenized choice of books and mm-hmm. book reading and representation that you're going to see in books and TV shows. And even where we live and where we go, like we always, that's one thing I think because of her knowing my background and my upbringing and her having this worldview, it's like, she'll even say it looking in certain dynamics where she's like, wow, it's very white. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be saying that and you're saying that. And it just, it always is that point in our head. So we are very, to answer your question, we're very mindful and aware of mm-hmm. that. And I think, I mean, those are just our approaches to ensure it becomes second nature for us. Yeah. And then it becomes second nature for Ananda to just roll with that as being the normal. Yeah. Like that's what I want to be the normal. Yeah. So much goes into raising our kids. So <laughs> I know. much to think about. Um, so there are literally so many questions that I could ask you. And I'm I wish we had more time and because I could keep you here all night, but you already you're Daughter woke you up at four. Yes, she did. So we'll make sure you get home soon so she can have some time with you tonight so she doesn't wake you up in the morning again. Thank you. But I have a couple of questions that I think are universal parenting questions. And everyone answers them differently. So I want to hear what your answers are. Um, How would you describe your parenting style? (sighs) Um, mm, Wow. Wow. That's a good question because I I always I look for an ideal which I know is not realistic but at least it's something I aim for so I think my parenting style is flexible okay flexible with borders with loose borders okay there loose <laughs> borders Um, And how would you define success as a parent? Being able to sleep. (laughs) No, um, that's part of it. Then Uh, we're all unsuccessful. I know. (laughs) But I I believe success in parenting is learning Mm -hmm. every day. I I think, again, if I've learned something, and it's not necessarily that I've taught her something every day. Yeah. It's when 
the day is done and I feel that I've learned something new about her or something new that I can bring to the table mm-hmm. for her benefit. Um, and again, not pressing upon my ideals, but it's more of pressing upon, oh, I think this could help our relationship. I think this could help her and me communicate better. Um, I feel that as success because I feel success in life is to be able to evolve. If we cannot mm-hmm. evolve, I don't think we're successful as human beings yeah. when we stop. So if I can see evolution in our relationship, there was success. That's beautiful. Um, when your daughter is grown, hmm. how do you want her to describe you as a parent? Wow. Um, Semi tear jerker. Um, <laughs> damn. It is a semi. Wow. Um, there is my trigger. Um, I would love for her to say, man. Okay. I would love for her to say, daddy is always there for me always there to support me and always there to love me regardless of what I've done right or wrong. Has anyone ever cried answering these questions? Well, you're my, my third guest, so no, but what, what does make you cry about that question? You know, it's the, it's, it's writing the wrongs, Mm -hmm. writing the wrongs of my parents, writing the wrongs of, of of what I experienced for her not to not to have to experience it. I I I pride myself as a dad to steer steer her clear of that. I think that's the only thing, you know, I mentioned not protecting her. That's probably mm-hmm. the only thing I would protect her from, not doing that. And how I do that is again this ongoing learning. Yeah. And it, it just, it hit me because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're never going to be perfect parents, but my hope is that at the end of the day, those three things, you know, I, I, I can, I can get that, give that to her mm-hmm. and get that answer from her that I've, you know, I've been there to support her. I've been there to love her. And I was just there for her and I could be there with her and present with her. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful goal to have. I share that with my, with, with you for my children and myself. Awesome. Last question I want to ask you kind of related to that one. Do you find that in parenting your daughter, you're reparenting a lot of yourself? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my God. It's, it's reparenting and therefore bringing bringing myself anew like it, it it's it's part of that whole evolving as a human being like it it literally as challenging af as it can be mm-hmm. certain mornings <laughs> and at certain times of day and and periods of life it literally is you know everyone you know i, I don't again something else i don't care if it comes off as corny because it's true it's the best experience it's the best freaking experience it's the most humbling and the most gratifying yeah 
Well, David, I have loved learning more about you and your parenting journey and spending some time with you this afternoon or this evening. Um, I really, you started off on a high note, like even just telling us about water and how to be mindful <laughs> drinking it. It's such a, it, it's funny and it's such a small thing, but that's such a major thing. I think sometimes we rush through everything. Like we don't even realize when you said even hearing the water go down, yeah. like. Hear it, feel it. I've never thought about that. See it, observe it. Yeah, hit all your five senses with that glass of water in the morning and you've set your day off with mindfulness. It does not have to be, you don't have to go to the Himalayan mountains with some yogi. You can yogi yeah. yourself in the kitchen. Yogi yourself. <laughs> yogi yourself. Okay. Go yogi yourself in the kitchen. But I think I think that's why I love it because it's so accessible. You don't need the Himalayan mountains. Yeah. You don't need a yogi, yoga and straight. Like you don't need all that. You just yeah. need a glass of water. That's, with that's Tell us like, again what you put in your water. Sea salt. If you can get pink Himalayan sea salt. <laughs> I think that's why I thought of the Himalayas. And a half a lemon. Squeeze half a lemon in room temperature water and your day uh, go through that mindful practice and your mind and your body will thank you all right y'all so you know i love to give uh my listeners homework uh -huh. that is going to be the homework awesome. i want them I to make it. that water and have that mindful moment first thing in the morning and i want to hear how that changes the day for for people yes. especially as parents because yes. we need those moments right yes. and i love that you let us know that it looks different for everybody. I am not a morning person. You're, you're not going to catch me at five <laughs> in the morning having some water. <laughs> sure, sure. But I'm a late night person. And my children often ask me, like, why do you go to bed so late, mom? You, you should go to sleep too. But that is my time yeah. for my silence there where there are not six other people and thoughts and needs happening. And I can just be present with myself. So I love that you allowed for us to do what works for us. Um, but yeah, that is our homework to start our day with that water and have that mindful moment, hearing it, feeling it, seeing, seeing it, it, tasting it. Do we smell it? We there can we smell go. the lemon. You can, oh my gosh, that, you know what? That's so interesting you say that because after I squeeze the lemon and I wipe my hands, that's the last scent. I love like, it. That's it. That's all five senses. I love it. All right, friends, make sure that you keep up with David on Instagram at Waziki, at Waziki. <laughs> and don't forget to tell me what you thought about this conversation by leaving a review in the comments. And David, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I really appreciate you. And I learned a lot from you. I appreciate you having me and having this, what became a beautiful safe space. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.